Hello and welcome to another episode of Breakfast Theology. I'm Josiah Kane. I'm Chuck Jones, his partner. Partner in crime. No, no. Partner in breakfast. Yeah. Today we are at IHOP and I am on a quest for between the two of us to try everything on the menu at least once. On the breakfast menu. And so today I had the uh, 12 ounce T-bone and eggs. Probably enough protein for a few days. Some mixing some pancakes in there. It, I'm very full. It was very good. Steak was surprisingly chewable. Surprisingly good for IHOP. I would give it a 10 out of 10 for IHOP. I had a bunch of things. A couple of <laughs> eggs, pancakes, sausage. Couldn't make up your mind? Yeah. And bacon. Mm. Love pigs. That, what was that called? It was called uh, Split Decision. Split Decision Breakfast. So last week we talked about baptism and kind of the natural other sacraments or similar topic to talk about is communion. Communion, yes. It's pretty... Uh, it's a pretty weird practice if you just looked at it from the outside. Like if if you had no idea, no recollection, or if you had if you had no experience with Christianity or the Bible, and you heard Christians talking about it, it would sound kind of funny. Yes. Which is why there's like some Roman, uh, <clears throat> some Roman records of like Christians are cannibals. They're talking about eating yeah. the body of Christ and drinking his blood and you know all this kind of stuff so it's not quite like that no. it's more of a, a way of speaking about it it's usually just grape juice and bread or wine and bread unleavened bread yep so what is communion it is uh uh, run the risk of using the word ritual. Yeah. A practice commemorating the death of Jesus. As often as we do it, however often that may be, you know, there's some people who do it every week, mm -hmm. some that do it every month, some that do it only one time a year. Do Catholic priests do it every day? I don't know. I think they take mass every day, so there's a chance they do it every day. I'm not 100% sure on that. Though. But yeah, as often as you do it, there's a, a purpose behind it. And ritual is kind of a word that has can have a negative connotation. It doesn't necessarily have to, though. No. So I would use the word ritual as long as we're not making it into something that you know becomes a meaningless or like going right. through the motions. Right. We typically in our churches practice doing communion monthly. Yeah. On a monthly basis. And sometimes I found that to be quite often. Mm -hmm. Again and again. The first Sunday of the month that after a while it's like we do this so often and people have done this so many times has it lost its meaning 
-hmm. Has it lost its uh, Effective. effectiveness? Yeah. Yes. And just doing it like having snacks in church. Yeah. And I think uh, it has become that probably for me at least more than once. Um, and I have to kind of purposefully put my mind back in the right place. It's kind of refreshing though to actually be COVID has had the upside of us not taking communion for a long time together. It was probably about six months between communions, at, at least at North Kent. March, April, May, June, July. We started in, August. yeah, I think our first communion was August. So, yeah. Six months. Six months. And when we first came back to do our communion, I kind of gave a specific message on communion. If you want to hear that, you can go to our website, go to the sermon audio section, or look up NKB, Sermon, NKB Sermons on Apple Podcasts. But kind of just like talking about what it is and kind of just being refreshed by the, the lapse in time, coming back kind of with a new attitude towards it all. Yep. So communion, what we have today kind of went through a long history to get to what we do. So it, it started as um, Passover, which uh, harkens back to the Exodus. So th there were the plagues. And the last plague was the angel of death that went over and killed the firstborn. Um, and if you recall the story, they had to put the blood of the lamb to cover the lintels in the doorway. That way the angel of death would pass over them. And a part of that meal was eating this unleavened bread because it showed haste. And, and then this was a tradition that Jewish people celebrated every year to remind them of the exodus and God's provision and his deliverance from oppression. And then uh, it kind of gets transformed a little bit by Jesus. Uh, so Jesus comes along and then he has the last Passover with his disciples. And they're taking this ritualistic Passover meal that they've taken a, long, a lot of times in their lives. Yeah. And he says, it means something different now. This, this bread is no longer just about the exodus, but it's about my body, which is broken for you on the cross. And this, this grape juice, this wine is about my blood, which is dying for you. It's, the Passover is about deliverance from exodus from Egypt. And communion is about deliverance from sin. And Jesus is kind of re-opting or, or slightly changing that meaning of well, Passover. Well, yeah, and think about Passover. The mm -hmm. first Passover was never repeated. No. They had a memorial mm -hmm. for Passover. Yeah. And there were elements of that observance that reminded them of their time in Egypt, yeah. but it was different. Yeah, it was. They had like the bitter herbs that reminded yeah, them of the tragedy and that kind of thing. But it was changed mm -hmm. from the first one. And there was no death angel. No. So, oh, you know, when Jesus changed it to, he didn't call it communion. Mm -hmm. He didn't call it communion, but we do. I think the disciples usually refer to it as the Lord's Supper. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's fine. Yeah, it is fine. 
Especially if you're the son of God, you can yeah, you can kind of do these things with authority. Yeah. Yes, Jesus was the man, and if God told told him to do something, he was gonna do it. Yep. No doubt about that. There, there's no. Watch out for the syrup there. Watch out for the cough. Man. You're not here to see it, but I almost got my Bible sticky and then covered in coffee. I see your turn to 1 Corinthians here. 11, yes. What do you have for us in that passage, Chuck? 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. Here he called it bread and the cup. Yeah, this is Paul speaking. Yeah. For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that you already mentioned. In the same manner... He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And I've said, I tried to instruct people, that if you haven't taken advantage of Jesus' death, like we talked last time with baptism, mm-hmm. why would you want to take communion? Right. If yeah, they're they're kind of they're kind of baptism is kind of this one-time deal where you stand publicly and before God and you say, "I want to." be a part of this and communion is kind of this smaller ritual or smaller practice that's kind of this recommitment you know re-showing everyone that I'm a part of this and so if you're not doing one you shouldn't be doing the other right you should you should be doing both yeah how important how important is the blood of Jesus to you Mm -hmm. important enough to be committed yeah baptized Mm -hmm. then you can take part in the ceremony. Yeah, absolutely. It's not like we're passing out treats mm-hmm. and a snack in the middle of the church service. Yeah, we're not helping the hypoglycemic people, you know, stay awake for the sermon. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's like some parents will allow their kids to reach in there and grab a snack. Mm-hmm. That's not what it's about. Yeah. And that, I think, kind of minimizes... The importance of it, the yeah. seriousness of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it can, for sure. And I think uh, Paul goes on, just in this chapter, even just the next few verses, talking about taking communion correctly. Yeah. And the problem here in the Corinth church was people getting drunk while they were at this, this important meal, or you know, they were eating their. They're being gluttons. They're eating their their full while other people had nothing to eat, and just kind of these disparities, and just like Paul's like, you're you're doing it wrong. You're missing the point. And if you do it wrong, you are 
you are therefore almost guilty for yeah. putting Jesus on the cross. So you need to really pay attention pay to attention. yourself. Yes. And I think the same message comes to us today, like, and the fact that we need to really get our hearts and minds in the right place and realize what we're doing. And there's a lot of stuff jam-packed in what Paul just said. So we're remembering Jesus' death. That's really important. And we're, we're remembering his broken body and his spilled blood. We're also remembering the new covenant. So he says, uh, when you drink this cup, drink this cup in the new covenant in his blood. So you're talking about Jesus' promises of the kingdom and this new way of, uh, of faith is kind of what Christianity is all about. You know, God's spirit being in us. And, you know, we're now saved through Jesus and, and grace instead of works and the law. So we're remembering all those things, but we're also proclaiming the Lord's death. We're planting our flag. We're assuring up the foundation of our flag every single time we take communion. We're telling everybody, this is where I stand. This is important to me. This is important to me. My version says you proclaim the Lord's death. Hmm. That's more than remembering it. Yeah. It is proclaiming it. It's, mm-hmm. it's making a statement about it, loud and clear, mm-hmm. whatever that may be. Yeah. It's a very uh, active word, proclaiming. Itself. Yes, very active. It's used when you're talking about like a, a herald, you know, yelling a message out to a city. That's proclamation, you know. I had a friend named Harold. <laughs> Was he loud? No. Hmm kind of ironic so you are doing a lot when you're taking communion and being cognizant of all of that is important to doing it correctly and it's this uh, deep ritual that kind of ties all Christians together through all history so Jesus did it with his disciples and the disciples taught their followers to do it and so on and so forth and the scriptures instruct us to do it and still today we're essentially doing the same thing yes and so although tradition has sometimes gotten in the way of Christian faith and has skewed some things I think communion is one of those places where tradition is very important and remembering and doing it the way that the Bible instructs us, instructs us is very important yeah, I was thinking, too, of the comparison between communion and the Passover, the original Passover, mm. that the blood was important. Yeah. The blood is important for us, too. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that old hymn that said, cleansed in the blood of the Lamb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Figuratively. Right. Yeah. We're not having Jesus' blood literally poured over us or something no. like that. Yeah, there's a lot of these Old Testament analogies uh, where Jesus is compared to this, like, lamb sacrifice. Um, Like the Old Testament sacrificial laws commanded. And the the Old Testament says that the life is in the blood. You know, that's where 
that's just how the Old Testament talks about it. That's why a sacrifice to God involves the spilling of the blood of the animal to cover sin. And kind of the, the fascinating thing or the amazing thing about sacrifice and, and Jesus. And so in the Old Testament, sacrifices were made all the time because it says that an animal cannot cover the sin of man. You know, it's not it's not sufficient enough for a permanent sacrifice. But Jesus being this perfect representative. So it of would God, be intermittent. Mm-hmm. So when Jesus dies and he gives his life, it's covered, you know. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's sufficient. Once for all. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking in John. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Hmm. Well, <clears throat> there was uh, some problems that jumped, popped up after Jesus had said these things. Yes, caused quite the stir. Yes, I love it what Jesus does here. There were uh, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand this, eating his flesh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, who, who can really think this is right, true, yeah. who's, this is right? When Jesus knew in himself what his disciples complained about, he said to them, Does this offend you? Does this cause you to stumble? That's what the ESP yeah. says. What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there were some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe, and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless he has been granted to him by my Father. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. They left Jesus because they were offended at yep. what he said. That's actually a pretty common theme in John is yeah. that Jesus makes it harder and harder to be with him. He's kind of, uh, you know, separating the wheat and the chaff yeah. a little bit. Then Jesus said to the twelve, "Do you want to go away also?" Yeah. <laughs> hey, there's a mass exodus. You want to be part of that movement? You can go if you want to. Me too movement. Uh, Simon Peter gave him this answer: "Lord, to whom shall we go?" You have the words of eternal life. Mm. 
Yeah. There's no place else we can get that. Mm. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Mm. Yeah. So, Jesus isn't one to soften the message because people are offended by it. Yeah. But he didn't go out with a motive just to offend people. For sure. have to remember that. It's kind of uh, interesting that Jesus talks about himself. He's comparing himself to manna, which is another, you know, back to the Old Testament Exodus story where they're in the wilderness and they were hungry and as they were prone to do, were complaining to God. Yeah. I said, what are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? And God sent this, uh, they said it was like bread, like sweet honey bread. Well, you know what manna means. What is it? Is that what the word means? What's this? That seems like an appropriate word, since it's not quite like anything they'd ever seen. Or ever seen since. But it was this... uh, life-saving gift that God provided in the midst of turmoil and danger. And Jesus is that same thing for us. And by partaking of that, the analogy here is eating. By eating the manna you lived. By eating Christ, by partaking in Christ, you live. In kind of a strange way, you are what you eat. In the well, situation. Exactly. Give you life. Give e- you life. Eternal life. Yes. That is the big distinction that Jesus made between him and manna. He said, hey, if you, your fathers ate manna, but they're, they're dead. They ate it. They actually picked it up and ate it. They're guess what? Six feet under, or I guess maybe in a tomb somewhere. Yeah. But if you eat this bread, if you partake in this gift from God, you're going to have eternal life. Yeah. So it's a, a matter of internalizing these things. And even the woman at the well, Jesus said, whoever drinks of this water, the water from the well, will thirst again. But anyone who drinks of the water that I'll give them will never be thirsty. Yeah. So there's this consumption of water that comes from Jesus, the same as his blood. Is drink, indeed, he says. Yeah, it's, it's. Uh, I think Jesus uses this language because it could be offensive, you know. And, uh, or at least it's, it's uh, hard enough to understand that people who want to take it out of, take it the wrong way, could. Yeah. So it's not meant to offend someone, but it, it is specifically chosen to. Be ambiguous. Yeah, be ambiguous or uh, could cause someone to squirm a little bit or something. But you don't need to be worried about that if you are thinking about taking communion. You're not really drinking the blood. You're not really drinking blood. You're not really eating human flesh. Um, It's a stand-in to remind us of those things. Now, there are some different views about how communion actually works. Uh, there's transubstantiation, which is trans as a different 
from one thing to another and substance. So it's a different substance, changes substance. So Catholics believe that uh, the bread is literally the body and it transforms the wine literally transforms into Jesus's blood and uh, in the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s we kind of got away from that a little bit and looked at it more as symbolism of those things mm-hmm. so whatever you think about it as far as that goes it doesn't matter as much as if you understand what's really happening behind the scenes yeah. I see communion as an essential part of Christian living as this ritual or practice or tradition that we should be doing because it reminds us and gets our our hearts back onto Jesus and the sacrifice that he made but it also I think really is a refreshing time for us to recommit our lives over to God and there's a kind of sometimes people who want to be rebaptized because they feel like they want to recommit their lives back to God and I suppose I would probably encourage someone first to take communion and recommit their lives first um, because I think that's probably a more appropriate way to do it because you're saying hey I am proclaiming the Lord's death until I come so you're making the same proclamation mm-hmm. um, and it's this uh, chance for renewal it's a, a fresh start to get your mind and heart in the right place yeah because it's not just the act of doing the communion, mm-hmm. eating and drinking, that has any real effect. How do you go into it? How do you, what are you thinking beforehand? What's the motive, motivation for you to take a communion? Yeah. You know, I'm thinking of, of older members who weren't able to make it to church and so I would take communion to them and that was uh, they they appreciated that more I think from the standpoint of hey I I did it than actually what communion should mean what it should yeah bring us to so if you're at a restaurant with your lovely wife, uh, let's say an Italian restaurant and you're having breadsticks and wine, it's not the same thing. Right. Same as being in a swimming pool is not being baptized. Yep. Yeah, it's about why you're doing it. Yep. And what you're doing, thinking while you're doing it. So is there a... What did John the Baptist say when the Pharisees came out to be baptized? Who told you? Hmm. So anything you think we left unsaid about communion? Or anything that we really need to touch on? No. Yeah, in general... It's this uh, practice that stemmed from Passover and changed and slightly in, in its meaning and practice by Jesus. And it's a part of a Christian life, something yeah. that we need to do 
uh, as often as we see fit or as often as it's offered to us. Yeah. And I think that there is uh, a huge possibility for legalism in it. Mm -hmm. It's got to be wine. It's got to be unleavened bread. How much bread? How much wine? This... And I don't think that you should make it so, uh, be so liberal about it that, you know, a hamburger and Coke is going to work. Right. I don't think you should do that. Yeah. I think there should be some seriousness involved in it. There's a lot of people who take it to far extremes. Like, it has to be tincture, which is... I'm pretty sure that's the right word where you actually dip the bread into the wine. That's the only way to do it. And if you don't do that way, it doesn't count. You know, I think that's probably taking it too far. Um, yeah. And, you know, and that kind of legalism, Jesus wasn't for that. No. Because then you're more concerned with the practice, the actual physical practice of the thing instead of the meaning behind it. Yeah. You tithe on your spices, right? Forget the more important things. Yeah, so uh, if you haven't taken communion and you have been baptized, I think you should partake in that practice. And if you haven't given your life to Christ yet, then maybe communion's not the right thing for you yet. No, I don't really think so. But if you haven't given your life to Christ, I would strongly encourage you to consider it. Come and see Josiah. He's the guy that can take care of that. Come and talk to Chuck. He's the guy that can take care of that. No. If you are interested, you can reach us at breakfasttheology at gmail.com with any questions or thoughts, uh, critiques, criticisms, um, topics, anything like that. So just shoot us an email, breakfasttheology at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Well, it's and, about time to get our table cleared off. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode. Yes. Goodbye now. God bless you.